tell me all the time about my cooking. You love my cooking, so I made you something. I dare you to give your kid a half-eaten sandwich for Christmas. I think that's a perfect gift for all of them. Listen, we are, uh, we are, feels like steps away from our uh, Christmas celebration this next week. Uh, Christmas, uh, our next Sunday service will be our Christmas cantata uh, on the 15th. And then the next Sunday is our Christmas uh, service here at Emmanuel. I invite you to be a part of that and all that's going to be happening uh, through all that. And, and listen, in our little community, we have had the conversation of Christmas unlike anything else that we've experienced. People are talking about Christmas. They're talking about nativities. They're talking about Jesus in a way that maybe they have not in a long time. And, and I am so excited. I celebrate really what is happening and the conversation that's happening uh, around all this. And, and I, I want to I point out that we've never had the opportunity like we've had the opportunity over the last few weeks to, to talk about what the real meaning of Christmas is. We've had an incredible opportunity to love our neighbors and to show what it means to be Christ-like in our community. We've had the opportunity to take a conversation from a nativity and make it into something a lot deeper and a lot more meaningful about who Jesus is. And, and listen, there are some of you who are like, I'm just tired of talking about it, right? And I get it. I do. I get it. But, but how incredible is it? That, that we have this, this really amazing conversation that is, is surrounding. I believe God is doing some really neat things through this. And, and we should be celebrating. We of all people should be celebrating that. Because how sad would it be that when it all dies down, because it will eventually all die down. When it all dies down and if God were to speak to your heart and say, Listen, with all the opportunities that you had with all the, the perfect setup, with the perfect conversation starters, how many people did you share Christ with and you answered none? I believe what's happening in our community is something that we as a church should be celebrating. Listen, I, I wrote a little thing on Facebook about what my response to the Baptist News was, and and I said that what has happened has been the exact opposite of what individuals wanted to have happen. They wanted to squash the idea of the nativity, and now it's just everywhere, right? It's uh, Debbie Hardgrave or Debbie Spencer had one on her T-shirt this morning, which I think is great. And so we're just we're going to have a, our float this afternoon, and the kids uh, the kids ministry is going to have a float in the parade, and we've we've got a live nativity with our kiddos from the IBC Kids Ministry, and it's hilarious. And, and Fang, I love Fang. Fang's sitting up here with us this morning, and and Fang said, "Am I?" going to be a sheep in the nativity? I said, oh, Fang, you're probably going to be the back end of a donkey. And he goes, oh, my favorite, right? I love that kid. He's so great. And so we're going to, we're going to do that this afternoon. Uh, invite you to be a part of everything that's going to happen. I'll give you more information about that later. But listen, all this ties so perfectly into our Unwrapping Christmas series where we're really trying to get into the, the, the necessity of Christmas. Why did it even have to happen? Why do we have to have all this? So we've been looking at over the last few weeks, we looked at uh, the, the last Old Testament uh, prophet, Malachi, and how he talked about how uh, God spoke through him and said that we have wearied the Lord, that we have uh, profaned his name, that we have offered these uh, poor excuses of sacrifice. We talked about how we still do that today. And then he said on the back part of Malachi, I think chapter 3, he says that he's going to send a messenger 
and then the Christ, the, the one that we have been seeking, will come, right? And so last week, we talked about that messenger who we know as John the Baptist, right? And we talked about how John came in this incredible fashion through Zechariah and Elizabeth and the birth of John and the announcement of John. And then finally, his birth and what he came to do was to set the path. He was, he was there to kind of get everybody ready to encounter Jesus. And we talked about last week how we are supposed to do that as well, right? We are the ones who are supposed to get people in our uh, world and our interactions ready to encounter Christ. And so uh, we've, we've kind of talked our way through that. And this week what I want us to do is look at one really kind of interesting question is why did Jesus have to be born? Why did he have to be born? Because that's something that we celebrate obviously at Christmas is the birth of Christ. And we think about those things. We've got to think about a couple of different uh, aspects of that. So if you've grown up in church, and you may be familiar with some church lingo, when we talk about what it means to be, uh, what it means to have and to worship the Trinity, right? If you are a deacon, especially if you're one of our new deacons, then what I've seen over the trend of our deacon ordination is they get in that little room with all the other deacons, and they ask them all these questions. And one of the very first questions is, can you explain the Trinity? And that, the new guy's eyes get real big, and then everybody just dies laughing because you really can't explain the Trinity. We try different ways to do that. We know that it consists of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, right? And to be Christian is to be Trinitarian, that we believe that God uh, manifests himself in three separate co-eternal persons. And so uh, some people like to say, well, the Trinity is like... And they give some really weird example of what the Trinity is like. And I've said this before. One of the things that I really came out of my seminary uh, education with, uh, the statement that uh, one of the professors made said, anything that you follow that sentence with, God is like, anything that you follow that with is at its core blasphemous in nature because God is not like anything. He is completely unlike anything that we could ever try to assimilate him to or make him like. Some people say, well, he's like water. It can be solid, liquid, or vapor. He's like an egg. It's got the shell, and it's got the yolk, and it's got the, I don't know what the white part's called. And so we, we try to kind of wrap our minds around that, but really he's unlike anything we could ever really even define. But I've got this definition up here. This is the best one that I've come up with, the best one that I've heard, and the best one that I believe really kind of gives some framework for who and what the Trinity is. One divine God, one divine being, one divine essence, however you want to say that, who exists in three separate co-eternal persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And so he exists in all three of those all at the same time. There's a, there's a, a kind of a train of thought that believes that God stopped being God the Father when he became God the Son, and he stopped being God the Son and God the Father now to be the God the Holy. That's not correct. He is all three all at the same time. And like I said earlier, to be Christian is to be Trinitarian, that you believe that in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, which means God the Father is God. It means God the Son is God, and God the Holy Spirit is God all at the same time. The narrative in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, talking about creation, all those, uh, all those I'm going to say pronouns because I'm not a grammar person, they're all plural, right? It's a, let, us, let us create man in our image. It's all 
plural uh, in nature, right? If we read uh, through First John chapter or John chapter one, uh, verse one, the word was uh, in the beginning was the word, and the word was God, and the word was with God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. And if you skip down to verse fourteen, that word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. John 1, Hebrews 1, Colossians 1, all talk about Jesus being the agent of creation. That from the very beginning, God the Son was with God the Father. That we now get to interact with him and know him as Jesus when God the Son came to earth, when the Word was made flesh. But Jesus, in his very essence, has been co-eternal. Now listen, I say all that because I know you guys wake up in the mornings just waiting to get into the, to the, the theology of Trinitarianism and eternality, right? You just wake up and you just can't wait. You go to church thinking, man, I hope Matt uses a word that I don't know how to spell or pronounce when I go back home. But if we're going to talk about why Jesus had to be born, we have to understand, number one, that he has been for forever, okay? That Jesus' birth was not the beginning of the Son of God. That the Son of God has, has been, He is eternal. He has been forever that ever has been. Does that make sense? Now, the question of why did He have to be born, why did He have to come in the way He came, is a very legitimate question. Because if Jesus is eternal, if the Son of God is eternal, why did He not just rip open heaven and, and speak with authority and come with power and take his people home and just be done with it. Because that is exactly what the Jews back when Jesus was alive were waiting for. And it's exactly what the Jews today are still waiting for. They missed the Messiah who was right there with them. If you read John chapter 1, verse 4, it says the Word was with them, and He came into the darkness, but the darkness did not understand it, right? He, they didn't get it. They missed the Messiah. So why did He have to be born in the first place? Instead of this power and majesty and reigning, we have a baby born in a manger in a very unexpected way. Where Colossians 2, 9 says, For in Christ the fullness of deity dwells. In Hebrews 1, 3, The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of His being, sustaining all things by His powerful Word. We have this incredible child who has been born to earth, who in its very nature has been eternal. Why did Jesus have to be born? If you've got your Bible, we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 2. And we're going to look at a really interesting passage of Scripture that I believe is going to answer that. Not only answer the reason why he had to be born, but why he came and, and who he came for and all that good stuff. We're going to work our way all the way through it. Hebrews chapter 2, and we're going to start in verse 10. It says this, In bringing many sons to glory, it was fitting that God for whom and through whom everything exists, should be made the author of their salvation perfect through suffering. In this verse, and others we're going to read right after this, gives us this incredible glimpse into God's plan from the very beginning. It starts off, 
in bringing many sons to glory. There's something pretty miraculous about that statement. From the very beginning, this was God's plan all along. His desire since creation was to bring us with him, for us to have right relationship with him and for to have this intimate bond that, that, that the Creator had with us and the fulfillment of that bond, that fulfillment of that salvation is eternity with Him. He wants us with Him in glory. In bringing many sons to glory, it was fitting, it says, to have the author of their salvation perfect through suffering. Now, this author that's mentioned here, this word, that Greek word, is used only four times in Scripture, and every time it's obviously referring to Jesus. But Hebrews says it was fitting. In other words, it made sense. It was right. It, it stood out. It, it was obvious that this author of salvation had to suffer. And that this suffering was perfect, and that word perfect really means complete. It was, it was all that it needed to be. It was, it was all-encompassing. It was perfect through suffering. Don't miss this. This is what this verse says, if we break it down. That God, who made everything, from the beginning wanted us to be with Him. And to do that, He chose to make the one person who could provide that perfect relationship with us, that salvation for us, he chose him to do that through suffering. This is really incredible because it begs the question is how does an eternal divine God suffer? How could a God ever suffer? Keep reading, verse 11. Both the one who makes men holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers. That's why we use the church lingo, you're my brother and sister in Christ, right? Because we're of the same family. Jesus is not ashamed to call us brothers. And the writer of Hebrews goes on to quote three different Old Testament passages, one out of Psalms and two out of um, Isaiah, talking about brotherhood and children and trust. And, and remember how verse 10 started in bringing many sons to glory? Okay, This is just reinforcing that Jesus had to be somewhat similar to us, that we had to be brothers with him somehow. We had to be of the same or similar substance to him somehow. And then verse 14, since children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death, he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. This is it. This is the most incredible passage of Scripture this morning. Since we have flesh and blood, he had to have flesh and blood. Since we are human, he had to share in our humanity. Church, this, this is the Word becoming flesh. This is the divine becoming human. This is the co uh, the, the, the co-eternal nature of, of Christ, that he was 100% man and 100% God all at the same time. He had to share in our humanity so that he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free 
those who have lived all their lives in fear and slavery of death. So, this means, this is great, if the Son of God didn't share in our humanity, then He could not defeat something He did not experience. He could not defeat something. He could not fully save us. He had to become flesh and bone. He had to defeat the one thing that kept us enslaved to fear, which is death. But God couldn't die. And so he had to somehow overcome death. Let me break it down like this. I've got three incredible truths, and this is going to help kind of make this passage of sense uh, make a little bit more sense to us. Okay, So here's three parts to this. I think I wrote wonderful truth, right? And that's kind of preachery, but here it is. Number one, the Son of God had to experience something that God could not experience. We know that as death, right? God had to experience something that God could not experience. So number two, to show his dominance over death, the Son of God had to experience death. And the only way to do that was to become human. Third truth, and what's so great about this whole story is we know that his human body died and then was resurrected because death could not overcome divine, right? We know that's the end of the story. And so Jesus had to be born of flesh and blood and have bones and hair and teeth and fingernails and kidneys and lungs and, and a heart. He had to have all muscles and sinews and, and, and all that stuff because he had to be human to experience and conquer death. He could not conquer something he had never experienced before. And so the Son of God came in flesh and bone to the earth for one expressed purpose. And that was to die. He came so that he could die, not just die, but defeat death. And be resurrected and prove once and for all that death cannot overcome the divine. Why did Jesus have to be born? He had to be born so that he could die, so that he could experience something otherwise he could not experience. This is the reason why we celebrate Christmas. This is uh, the whole point of everything that we do around this time of year, that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That gift, that moment of gift is Christmas. A lot of people believe, well, that moment of gift was on the cross, Yes, he gave his life on the cross, but he gave his son at Christmas. He gave him to us at Christmas because he had to come and he had to experience something incredible. The son of God left the glory of heaven, walked among his creation and provide right relationship with God the Father. He freed us from the fear of death because death no longer was conquering Jesus conquered death. That's the whole reason we celebrate Christmas. Now, this, this gift, this divinity wrapped in humanity, he did all of this for us. And that's the part that really, when we begin to think about Christmas and we begin to work our way through the thought of the gift of Christmas, that's where we struggle. Those of us who can step out in faith and say, okay, I can believe that the Son of God came. I can believe that Jesus gave his life for, for you know, the world. But why would he give his life for me? Why would he give that incredible of a gift to 
us. Have you ever, ever gotten a gift that you immediately knew you weren't ever going to use? Or you were going to probably return? Or you were probably just going to throw away? Right? We've all got that one weird uncle that gives the worst gifts at Christmas. For me, that was my Uncle Mike. That's my dad's brother. Uh, my Uncle Mike was just this really interesting guy. He was, a, uh, he was a professional jazz drummer, so he's super artistic. He was the one who gave me all my drums and cymbals, and that's the reason why I loved him and my parents hated him, right? Because every year it was just like loud, loud, banging around and stuff. Um, he, he gave my sister and I, his only niece and nephew, he, he gave us fantastic gifts. Every year, I got something to do with drums. Every year, he gave me something. My, he gave my sister. I don't even know what he gave my sister, but she loved everything. He gave my parents. He gave my dad the worst gifts ever. Like, here's, I remember being old enough to remember. For, for one Christmas, he gave my dad a foot massager. Now, it's kind of prophetic with all the surgeries my dad has recently on his foot, I guess. But he's, it was this old, like, brown, like, you slide your feet in these little slippers that Velcro onto this little wedge that just vibrates. And that's it. Merry Christmas, brother. And dad was just like, this is the weirdest gift in the world. Why would he give me something to do with my feet? Another time, I'd, I even called dad this week to go, dad, tell me the rest of the story because I know that this happened. And he said, yes, it did. He, he opened his gift and it was a sports jacket. And dad was like, hey. Then he looked at it. And he was like, hmm. That collar's a little wide for 1992. And he said he had, it had leather buttons on the cuff, you know. And he said those leather buttons were kind of worn a little bit. And he thought, Dad, Dad said, I thought, well, maybe this is just the style, right? And he gets it out and he puts it on. And it's my uncle Mike was built a lot like me, tall and lanky and kind of skinny. My dad is not built like that. And so it wouldn't, it was like, remember that old fat guy in a little coat? Like, so dad put it on. He couldn't even put it on all the way. He started looking at it and it was like, he's like, this, this is a used coat. Like he gave me a used coat. And, and like three or four days later, they're flipping through family photos and they see a picture of Mike wearing that jacket from 15 years earlier. Like he just got in the back of his coat closet and was like, yeah, that'll work for Corley. I'll give that to him. Wrapped it up and gave it to him. Some of you give gifts like that. Be better, okay? But some of you have experienced gifts like that. Like you've got stuff and you're like, oh, why am I? I told you guys a couple of weeks ago I worked at a bank and my mom gave me a coin counter. I'm like, why? Why did you do that? She's like, I think that year, um, <laughs> that was like the year Jess and I, I think we're dating. And she gave, we all got QVC gifts. I don't know why. Everybody got a QVC gift. Mine was a coin counter. Jessica's was a pillow that had a button on the side of it, and it vibrated. She was like, thanks. <laughs> Future mother-in-law. <laughs> it's awesome. We all get weird gifts like that. But here's the thing. We just chunk them. We throw them. Maybe even you put them up in case that person comes back to your house, and you can pull it out and act like it's out all the time. And as soon as they leave, you put it right back up again. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Done that. Some of us have taken this gift that God has given us and we've, we've treated it as though it's expendable, as though it's not valuable, as though it's really just kind of mundane. And, and we, we kind of just, just kind of stick it back. We don't really act like it's really that big of a deal. Maybe once or twice, maybe for a week or so at Christmas, we talk about it and we kind of make it important in our life. But for the, for the most part, 
It's just kind of hidden back. Maybe it's dusty and we have to kind of blow it off and pull it out. Oh, yeah, it's Christmas. It's the gift of God, you know, Jesus and all that stuff. And, and so we, we just we miss the whole point of the gift that was given. This whole passage of Scripture talking about how since children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity. Why would God share in anything like us? And he says he does all that to free us. And church, I'm just convinced that too many of us are living enslaved to something that he's already come to free you from. That we, we carry around this weight and this burden and this, this baggage and this luggage that, that, oh, look at all my past and look at all the stuff that I've done and, and look at the things that kind of have dominance over me right now that I'm, I'm willfully choosing to allow to rule. And, and Jesus, I, I believe, is saying, listen, I, I did everything that I did so that you don't have to live that way. I did everything that I can't, I left the glory of heaven. If you read Revelation and, and talk about how when Jesus shows up on the scene and, and, and he's able, and, you know, God has this scroll and he can't open it and, and they look around and no one's worthy to open the scroll and it says that John turns and he sees one who looks like a lamb who had been slain and everything in heaven cries out, you are worthy to open the scroll. You are the worthy to take the scroll and open its seals because you have been given this name. That is all this. It's an incredible moment. Jesus left all of that with all of heaven, praising him and worshiping him. He left that to be flesh and bone for us. And we take that gift and we take it for granted and we act like it's not a big deal. And, and we may now have a little bit more of a conversation than we normally do, but we really don't live this gift every day. We really don't experience this in a way that really changes our life. Some of you treating it like it's common, like it's ordinary. This gift of God's humanity, of His suffering to provide salvation, may be a gift this morning that you need to receive. Some of us who kind of work through the motions of church and because we grow up where we've grown up and we've kind of just been in places and circles and had conversations around a certain topic and situation, but we've never really received the gift of salvation. We've never really received the gift of Jesus in our life. Maybe this is an area that we need to receive. Maybe for some of us it's just that we need to dust it off. And we need to see the importance of not just at Christmas time, but all year long. Maybe for some of us, we need to get back in right relationship. We need to understand the things that he's freed us from and begin living like we're freed from those things. This cannot just be overlooked. So the question we have is, what are you going to do with this gift? What, what do we do with this Jesus, this divine, this eternal, made flesh. This is my last thought, but it's a long one. So sometimes when I say that, it's like I'm wrapping up. I'm, I'm wrapping up, but it's going to take me a few minutes to wrap up. After this statement in Scripture, 
the writer of Hebrews answers two of the most common questions when it comes to Jesus. Who was it for and why would he do it? Who did he come for and why did he come at all? So we've, we understand why he had to be born, but, but who was it for? And if you read, it goes a little bit further, verse 16. For surely it's not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. And it's just one little verse. Surely it's not angels he helps, but Abraham's. It's a very Jewish thing to say. Okay, let me just say that right out of the gate. Because if you're, if you're reading this, it, it does wholeheartedly apply to us. But, but this echoes uh, Isaiah and it echoes the Abraham's covenant back in Genesis, right? And, and where they know that, that, that Israel is God's chosen people. And, and, and the writer of Hebrews is saying, like, listen, he, he didn't just come to help the angels. He didn't, he didn't come on earth to, to, to provide something for somebody who didn't need it. He came to help Abraham's descendants. He came to redeem humans. Now this, this phrase, please understand, does not exclude us Gentiles because we're not Abraham's. We're not, we're not, uh, we're not uh, Israel. We're not Israelites. We are, we are Gentiles. We're outside of that uh, nationality and that, that covenant. Okay, So uh, it doesn't exclude that. It's just the easiest way to explain it. He gives these two polar opposites. Like he, didn't, he didn't do this for angels. He did this for us. He didn't do this for something that's existing in heaven. He didn't, do that. He didn't come to earth to, to solve a problem in heaven. He came to earth to solve a problem on earth. He did it for us, which means that he did it for you and I. Which means he did it for the hurting and the broken. He did it for the single parents and the exhausted soccer moms. He did it for those of us who carry around a lot of baggage and those of us who experience freedom from that baggage. He did it for some of us who are ashamed and scared and searching, just like he did it for the kid that's grown up in church his whole life and knows all the right answers. He did it for you. For me, he didn't do it for something happening somewhere else. He did it for us right here on earth. And then he answers, why? Verse 17. For this reason, he had to be made like his brothers in every way, in order that he might become merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. He had to be like us, listen, so that he could, see those attributes? Merciful. He could be a merciful and faithful high priest. If you don't know anything about God and you don't know anything about the qualities of God, wouldn't you, wouldn't you hope that he's merciful and that he's faithful? That's incredible. And then the writer makes this connection of the high priest. Now, here's what would happen in Jewish culture. The high priest would go into the Holy of Holies one, one time a year, right? He would go in one time a year. He would offer a sacrifice in the Holy of Holies. That's where, we, that's where they believed that the Spirit of God dwelt was in the Holy of Holies. It's in the middle of the temple. He would go into the Holy of Holies. He would make a sacrifice, and that sacrifice would, would cover the sin of the people. And he had to do that every year. The high priest made that sacrifice annually. Our high priest made that sacrifice one time for all people, for all time. He had to be made like his brothers in every way so that he may make atonement for the sin of the people. 
That word atonement, if you break it down, at one meant that we could be at one with God. He did that for the sins of the people. Now, don't get lost in that. That's not the, the individual sins that we commit. It is the sin that resides in the heart of man. It's the sin that separates us from God. It's the disobedience. It's the, it's the, the want to be in control. It's the, it's the attitude that's so against who God is. It, is. it is all of the sin that it took, that took Jesus to the cross. He died for the sin of the people. And it says this, it says to make, uh, it says, he may make atonement for the sin of people. Your, your Bible, your version may say this, that he might turn aside God's wrath, taking away the sins of the people. I like that. I like that translation better because that's exactly why Jesus had to come. He came to turn the wrath and take the sin. He turned all the wrath on himself. He paid the penalty. Isaiah says, by his stripes we are healed, right? And he took the sin and the weight of the world and, and all the stuff, all the rebellion and all the, all the, the anti-God parts of us. And he took it all. And he turned God's wrath for us. He became like us. For us. So this is the message of Christmas. This is the reason that the Son of God came as a baby in a manger, fully God and fully man, to turn the wrath of God, to turn the punishment on himself, and therefore take the sin of the people and to conquer death so that we can have a right relationship with the Father. Full circle, verse 10, so that he can bring many sons to glory. Isn't that an incredible passage of Scripture? Church, the question that we're left with this morning is what are we going to do with the gift? What are we going to do with this divinity wrapped in humanity? Because the Bible says that anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. That you confess with your heart. That you believe in your heart, you confess with your mouth then you will be saved. Now listen, this humble beginning turned all the wrath from the beginning. That was the plan from the beginning. So church, when we think about it like that, we think about it in such magnitude, and such, such beyond our comprehension thought, it's from the beginning God loved you enough that he planned for his own son to suffer. How could we not respond to that gift? How could we not take this gift of Christmas and make it real in our life? Not just at Christmas, but every single day. I'm going to ask TJ to come up. I'm going to ask you to stand and bow your head. We're going to have our invitation. This is an invitation for you to do something with this gift. To not just hear the words of Scripture but to apply them and to really make changes in how we live and how we react and how we respond to a God who loved us so much that He gave His one and only Son.
Let's pray together. I'll be down front. Dustin will be down front. If you need to come, if you need to ask questions about this gift, if you need to ask questions about what it means to join our church or what it means to be a member at Emmanuel, or if you just need to come and get your heart kind of back on track on what's going on, listen, we'd love to talk to you. We'd love to pray with you. This is your opportunity to respond to his truth. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. We thank you for who you are. Thank you for this gift that was given. And God, when we think about this baby in a manger and how the plan from the beginning was for him to suffer so that we can be called your own. God, help us not take that gift for granted. Help us not take the gift of salvation for granted. Help us dust off what it means to live it And Father, not just over the next few weeks, but Father, for the rest of our lives, help us be eternally grateful for what you have given us in Jesus. Father, if there's someone here this morning that needs to ask questions or needs to come, Father, who needs to just kind of recenter their life in the middle of the truth of your will, God, I pray they do this this morning. They don't miss an opportunity. God, this is your time to work in our hearts. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You guys come. Hey, this is Matt Overall. I'm the pastor here at Emmanuel Baptist Church. Just want to say thanks so much for watching our services, whether through our television ministry or our online ministry. We appreciate you so much being a part of Emmanuel Baptist Church, and we'd love to have you come and join our worship service. Uh, Sunday morning service starts at 10.30. Our small groups start at 9.30. And we'd love to have you be a part of it. We've got a lot of different ministries that happen at Emmanuel, from our children and youth that's focused on Wednesday nights to our uh, women's Bible studies that happen throughout the week. We'd love to have you be a part of everything that's going on here at Emmanuel. Thanks for watching.